Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, Gospel of John. You remember uh, last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about what are our needs? What are your needs? And you'll remember our emphasis uh, dealt with the uh, basic needs when it comes down to it. We need water and we need food to survive in this world. But spiritually, we also need water and food. We looked at the living water. Spiritually speaking, we need the living water. Jesus meets the woman at the well. And this is the the story that we've been in. This is the text. And she recognizes her need. And today we'll continue uh, our study and find out exactly what happened to this lady who came face to face with the Savior. And what kind of impact he had on her life. And what were the results of that impact. The next time you're out in public, the next time you're out somewhere and there's like a big crowd gathered around, try this out. Go go just kind of step out there in the middle of the crowd and and just go. What's everybody going to do? What is it? Yeah, somebody said call the funny form. Is that GMB? (laughs) They probably would. It's amazing, though, you know, that something that simple, you know, and everybody's going to start looking. When, a little confession for you. When I worked on the cruise line, um, I had a nickname. Now, you've got to realize this is B.C. This is before Christ, okay? I was no pastor. I was far from it. And I used to call bingo... Uh, that was one of my duties. God, can you imagine getting paid for that? Just calling bingo game. I mean, that was part of my duty. I wouldn't all of, but that was one of my responsibilities. And, and I got a reputation. I got I got labeled as it's kind of. I probably shouldn't even be confessing this, but Mister Rude, bingo, Mister Rude, bingo, and it stuck. And so when I would go make the announcements, you know, over the PA system. All right, coming up in 15 minutes, you want to meet me on the pool deck for another episode of Rude Bingo with me, Mr. Rude Bingo. And people would go because they didn't know, and they would go to uh, the bingo game, and usually they only come once. And, um, but it was funny. One of the things I used to do when I would call the bingo game was at certain point in the game, I would go, Oh, uh, if you look over... Uh, if you'll look out the starboard side, you'll notice there is a, a very rare southern glacier. Uh, these are very rare in the Caribbean, and, uh, but there is one out there. And without fail, people would get up and they'd go to the windows and they'd start looking. You know, All these people would be looking because I'd really you know, build it up a lot more than, than, than I just did. And these people, well, I don't see it. You know, and they'd start wondering where this is. And of course, some people caught on. There's no glaciers in Hello. And, uh, but again, amazing with the influence you have over other people. Be it your words, be it a simple point. Church, whether you realize it or not, 
your life, I don't care who you are this morning, no matter how insignificant you may think you are, you have impact. You have effect on other people. And so, I want to try to encourage us this morning to use that impact for the cause of Christ. So, if you would, uh, look there in the text today. And uh, we're going to kind of pick up our, our reading. And uh, let's, let's begin our reading today in chapter 4, verse 27. You'll remember in the previous two verses, the lady has made the comment that she knows the Messiah is coming. They knew this. This was part of their understanding. And Christ at that time identifies Himself. In verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Verse 27, And at this point, His disciples came and they marveled that He talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of, which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages, gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors." And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe. Not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, again, I I call on you to allow me to be removed, and that you would just, uh, Lord, allow me to be your vessel, that you would speak through me today to encourage uh, our hearts, Lord, I pray for us as listeners that we would hear your Holy Spirit's voice through the teaching of your truth. And may we respond in obedience. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. 
Amen. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Taste and see. And we talked about our need for water, living water. And today we're going to focus on food. Some of you have already been focusing on food. <laughs> Miss breakfast, shame on you. Well, we're not talking about the temporal food. It's interesting in the text, this is exactly what the disciples thought. You know, uh, we talked last week how the woman, even her thinking, was on the temporal. You know, uh, when, when Jesus said, if you would ask, I'd give you living water. And she's like, you didn't even bring a pot. What, what kind of water are you talking about? You didn't even bring anything to draw with. Again, the thinking was in the here and now. Too often times, that's our, our problem. We're short-sighted. We think of the here and now. We don't think of the things of eternity. We don't think on things that are spiritual, things of substance. We've got to get beyond that surface level thinking. We've got to get down to the core of what it's really about. Because it's really about something greater than what's going on in the here and now. And Jesus is going to try and point this point out. He's going to point this out to His disciples in our text. If you're taking notes, the first point this, this morning that I want to highlight when we talk about what are your needs, we need to invite others to Christ. We need to invite others to Christ. Notice the text, verse 27. We notice as the disciples are walking up, they notice she's, that, that as they walk up, he's talking to this woman. And this takes the disciples back a little bit. Now they're thinking in their heart, what, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Why is he talking to this lady? Because that's a big no-no. Even rabbis in this day, their wives were not allowed to address them in public. Their own wives. And yet here's a rabbi, a teacher, speaking to, of all people, a Samaritan woman. I mean, this is double whammy no. And by the way, she was from the town of what? Drunkard. Yeah, that's what it means. And so, here's an outcast of the outcast. And Jesus is talking to her? Oh, that's taboo. And so, yeah, these thoughts are, are, are bubbling around in their mind. There's a lot going on in this text. And there's so much that, that can be dug out. I'll just try and throw some stuff and It's going to come out as fast today, so hang on. But... One of the things that's happening here, the providential appointments of God. You see this in this text. Because, by the way, if these disciples show up too early, then they do not hear the claim of Christ. Oh, we know Messiah is coming. Jesus said, the one who's speaking to you is Him. They hear his claim of deity. A moment too soon, they interrupt that conversation. A moment too late, they miss that conversation. The timing is right. The lady hears this, and what does she do? She forgets about the here and now. What was her purpose of being there? Get some water, right? She left her water pot. 
I mean, she dropped everything and is gone. Providential timing of God is, is, is seen in this text. I mean, that's just one of the side notes. Um, this lady leaves her water pot. She runs back into her, into her village. Again, an outcast of the outcast. Uh, we know she's a, an adulterer. She, we know that, that she's had many husbands. So her reputation amongst uh, the town's people was probably not a real good one. Yet God used that law, Christ used that law to convict her of that sin. It appealed to her conscience, but yet she responded truthfully to Him. And here we find her running back into the town. Verse 28 tells us that as she went into the city, she said to the men, Come see a man. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Remember we talked about how it started off, she perceived him as a Jew. Oh, you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Then she later perceives him to be a prophet. But she leaves there recognizing him as the Savior. And that has so impacted her life that she cannot keep that to herself. It baffles me how someone can name the name of Christ, claim that they have had this encounter with Jesus Christ, and not change who they are. It baffles me. Because when I see Scripture, when I know my own experience in life, when I come face to face to the Savior, when when I know that, that, that my life has been transformed, I can't shut up about it. That's not something to keep personal. That really, that really gets me. My faith is personal. Wow, it is? Well, I'm glad I don't got your faith. I mean, really, people, it's personal? Well, I guess we need to just, God just needs to take you on home then. No, it's public. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. To keep that to yourself, shame on you. Shame on me. This lady can't keep it to herself. She goes to invite others to Christ. And notice what happens. She goes to him, she says, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could, could this be the one that our forefathers have told us about? Could this be the one the Scriptures have talked to us about? Could this be Him? Is this Him? She's inviting others. How are you doing? How am I doing on inviting others to subpoint, investigate the claims? We need to invite others. Invite others to meet our Christ. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Our responsibility as a church is to come in here as believers. Technically, this gathering is not for unbelievers. By definition, the church cannot be made up of unbelievers. Did you hear what I said? By definition, the church... What is the church? The body of Christ. By definition, the church 
cannot be made up of unbelievers. That's an oxymoron. By definition, the church is believers. As believers, we come together to be equipped, according to Scripture, to go and do the work of the ministry. You see, our responsibility is to invite others, not necessarily to church, though I want you to do that, and though I will encourage you to do that. But ultimately, your goal, my goal, is to invite others to meet our Christ, to meet the Savior of the world. That is our commission. And we need to invite others to investigate, investigate the claims. Could this be? You know, I don't know how that fleshes out in your conversation with your coworker or, or with your neighbor or with the stranger at the grocery store. Have you ever considered Jesus Christ? Come see. Could this be? This book is entitled Evidence for Christianity. It's a short read. Just kidding. Um, It's by Josh McDowell. Listen to some of the things, some of the claims of Scripture. Uh, Jesus appeals to prophecies about Himself. Let's just investigate some of the claims this morning. Listen to this text, Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Luke 24.27 And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Jesus said that, Luke 24, 44. John 5, 39. 40, 46, and 47. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Jesus says this. These are claims, folks. They're the true claims or the false claims. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. Matthew 13, 14. That's on parables. Matthew 26, 56 says, But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Luke 4, 20 and 21 says, Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, who? Jesus. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you understand what's going on here? Jesus himself made claims that he's God. Jesus has just made a claim to the Samaritan woman that He is the Christ. She has now gone to invite others to investigate these claims. Could this be Him? Christian, we need not be afraid to invite others to investigate the claims of our faith. There is evidence for Christianity. 
the apostles. Listen to some of the things they have to say. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets, that the Christ would suffer, He is thus fulfilled. Acts 3.18 To Him all the prophets witness that through His name, whoever believes in Him will receive remission of sins. Acts 10.43 Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning Him, they took Him down from the tree and laid Him in a tomb. Acts 13.29 Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I have also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Romans 1-2, which He promised before through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. These are all claims that can be investigated. You know, when you think about the Old Testament, and by the way, why is this important? Because she had an understanding. She had a little bit, even though it was, it was somewhat skewed. They had the history of some of those Old Testament prophets, the Samaritans. And they knew there would be a Christ who would come. So as she wants them to investigate this. We should have that same fervency in our heart that if we have truly invited Christ into our life, we have truly received Christ, we know Him. We've met Him. How can we not? Think about this. The next time you're you're reading in your devotionals in Leviticus, I know you guys do that. Um, Think about the feast. Um, Leviticus 23 talks about the Passover. All right, these are the fulfillment in Christ. Listen to this. Uh, the death of Christ, the Passover. Unleavened bread, His, his holy walk. Um, and by the way, there's, there's references for these if you're interested. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 1 Corinthians 5, 8. First fruits, the feast of first fruits that's been celebrated in the Old Testament. Ages and ages and ages ago, they're celebrating these feasts and these festivals that point to, they're foreshadowing, they're foretelling of a coming Messiah. Jesus fulfills the feast. The first fruits, His resurrection. Pentecost, outpouring of His Spirit. The Feast of Trumpets, Israel's regathering. That's Matthew twenty-four thirty-one. Atonement. The Feast of Atonement, cleansing by Christ, Romans eleven twenty six. The Feast of Tabernacles, um, rest and reunion with Christ, will happen in the millennium. I mean, these feasts that have been in Old Testament writings in scriptures, passed on age after age after age, Jesus Christ has fulfilled and will fulfill the remaining feast in Himself. This is evidence. This is amazing, overwhelming evidence. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you. Uh, again, I'm just a Bible nerd. That, that's like crazy. Do you understand? They would have these great feasts, and yet here comes Christ, and He dies on a cross. 
Behold, the Lamb of God, what was sacrificed on Passover? Lamb without blemish? The first fruits. Christ is the first fruits amongst the dead. Resurrection. I mean, this is amazing evidence. You don't arrange this stuff unless you're Almighty God. Do we not understand the ramifications? This is real. We're going to step out of these robes into eternity one day, into the presence of Almighty God. And this whole time, it's not about the temporal. It's about the eternal. And it's coming. And it's a long time. You know what I'm saying? So let's store up some treasures in heaven. All right? Let's kind of get, get a little excited about the, the life to come. More so than the here and now. Anyway, I, I, uh, check this out. Uh, it reveals that the, these are significance um, when it comes to predictive prophecies. It reveals, number one, some of the things I just read to you, in case you're sitting there not getting it, you know, the brain's kind of... Some of them's already went... I can see it. Um, it reveals that there is a divine intellect behind the Old and New Testament. There's a divine intellect, or they don't fit together. You don't have these kind of prophecies fitting together unless there's a divine intellect going on behind it. Okay, um, It establishes the fact of God. I mean, you can establish, with that argument alone, Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled in New Testament scriptures, you can establish with anybody that's got two brain cells that, that this, there has to be a divine in, intelligence going on behind that. You can establish God with that argument. Uh, it authenticates the deity of Jesus. Because Christ fulfills these things. Only, only God can get that right. It authenticates the deity of Jesus. It also demonstrates the inspiration of the Bible. Just those brief passages I ran through. Um, notice the breadth of a predictive prophecy. The Old Testament contains more than 300 Get this, it contains more than 300 references to the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus. Now, some people will raise an objection. They'll say, oh, well, the prophecies were written at or after the time of Jesus and therefore fulfilled themselves. Sorry, wrong answer. Try again. If you are not satisfied with 450 B.C., because some people you know, say, oh, I'm not satisfied with that number. I don't think these things were written 450 years before Christ, the Old Testament stuff. Well, check this out. As the historic date for the completion of the Old Testament, we believe was somewhere around there, 450 B.C., but you're not satisfied with that. You're, you're, you're one of those skeptics. You're that co-worker that's just got to answer for everything because he watches the History Channel. Okay? You know this, you know this type. You know, they come in the next day. You know, I was watching this special last night on A&E on Jesus. They say they found uh, new books. What do you know about that? You know, they always... So, um, if you don't hold to 450 B.C. as a historic date for the completion of the Old Testament and all the prophecies about Christ contained in it, take into consideration the following. The Septuagint. The Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. That's what the Septuagint is. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. It was initiated in the reign of Ptolemy 
I know I just butchered that. Uh, Philadelphus in 285 to 246 B.C. It is rather obvious. Let me say this again. 285 to 246 B.C. It is rather obvious that if you have a Greek translation, if you have a Greek translation initiated in 250 B.C., then you have to have had the Hebrew text from which it was written. You can't translate from something if you don't have something. So, this will suffice to indicate that there was at least a 250-year gap between the prophecies being written down and their fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Okay, so you don't want to hold to 450 years, but you can't argue the translation... There's documentation, historical accuracy, that these scriptures were put into the Greek translation in 250 B.C. That means before Christ. How's Christ fulfilling these things? It wasn't written after all this happened and then somebody decided to nicely put it together. Of course not. These are the scriptures that are being read in the synagogues, the Old Testament scriptures. That's why Jesus reads from Isaiah, sits down and says... This scripture's been fulfilled in your eyes today. I mean, this is, this is important stuff. The Samaritan woman recognizes. She knows. She's met the Christ. In fact, it's so impacting her life, she forgets the here and now. And she's gone. Gotta come see. This guy has told me everything. I think it's the Christ. So she hauls them all back in. Notice what happens. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the bat cave. Meanwhile, back at the water, t- uh, whatever, well. Here we go. Check it out. The woman, left her, she leaves her water pot. She runs and asks these guys to come check it out. What's the result? They came. Wow, that's amazing, Lord. They actually responded. Guess what? Newsflash, newsflash, church, church, church. Wake up. Invite others to meet your Christ. Invite others to investigate the claim. They may come to Him. They may come to Him. The result of her doing this, they came. They came for themselves. Notice what happens. This, by the way... Uh, We're going to look at our second point here if you're taking notes. First one, invite others to Christ. Second, implement obedience to Christ. Invite others to Christ. Implement obedience to Christ. Notice what happens. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat, eat. He said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Mm -hmm. You can just hear it in their heart. Mm -hmm. You know? What? Has anybody brought him food? Did, did, you, did somebody give him a pack of nabs? I didn't see it. Did you see it? I don't know. I didn't see it. Did somebody get him something to eat? Jesus says to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. No doubt he's probably referencing Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know what? 
We need a greater sustenance than our daily bread. It's His daily Word. Jesus answers here, and by the way, you want to know how? You want, you know, you want to know what our needs are? Well, we need to invite others to Christ. We need to, to implement obedience to Christ. And you want to know how? Instruction. That's your, sub, that's your subheading there. Instruction. Do the will. Jesus says that my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. Can I tell you what your sustenance is? Can I encourage you this morning, church, that our, our sustenance, what we really need to be about, is the will of God. Chew on that for a while. Jesus knew. He knew. Not His will. He was there to be obedient to the Father's will. In fact, look over in, in chapter 6, and we heard a little bit of this uh, last week, but turn over in chapter 6 in verse uh, 38. Jesus says, For I have come, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will. Wow, that, that could radically just transform uh, our church and, and our society right there, wouldn't it? To actually not do my own will, but... Jesus says, I come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Did you catch that? Do the will of Him who sent me. Who sent you, church? Who sends us? Who gave us our marching orders? The Lord Jesus Christ. We need to do the will. He he said that He's doing the will of the one who sent Him. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. You see, church, we too need to implement obedience to Christ. And it comes through the instruction of His Word to do His will. Jesus' purpose was to seek and to save the lost. I venture to say our purpose should be similar. We should be about that instruction. We should be looking to the lost soul. We should be seeking those who need to meet our Savior. You know, it's interesting. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians. I want to read this passage. 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2 says this. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. As to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. Look over in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5. 
Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 says this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and and evil. Did you hear that? <laughs> Grab hold of this, church. Don't miss it. Those who are of full age, that is, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Here's what he's saying. Back over in John, Jesus says that, that he, his food was to do the will of him who sent him and to finish his work. To do... And finish. That's action. If you do something, you're implementing something. You're putting action to it. If you're finishing something, you're you're putting action to it. James warns us. Don't be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. No doubt we have all heard over and over and over. Go and make disciples. How many of you have made a disciple? Is it wrong to conclude logically that if we're not making disciples, we're just hearing the Word? And James says, don't be a hearer of the Word because you deceive yourself. You see, I think what happens is we sit in church sometimes, and if we're not careful, we hear the Word over and over and over and over. And we deceive ourselves because I go to church, and I believe in Christ, that I'm okay. But we can remain immature. We can remain a baby. And those passages I pointed out says maturity. One who's of full age they begin to put it into use. They begin to do. This way they're able to discern good and bad. Bad is not going and seeking out the lost to win them to Christ. Good is putting into practice what I've heard that Jesus said, go. And so now I'm going. I'm being obedient. I'm implementing obedience to Christ by doing Not just hearing. That's the point I guess I'm trying to to encourage us with this morning. And look, don't don't try to spiritualize to justify where you're at. Just let it hit us for a second. It hits me long before it hits you. (laughs) Okay? Because I have to study this stuff. So, so, okay? So just let it hit you for a second. Am I a doer? And again, if if we start to rationalize, well, you know, I I do have this get-together and I do pour my life... 
God speak? Am, am, am I really seeking out the law? Am I really trying to make disciples? Am I implementing obedience to Christ? So, the Samaritan woman, she does. Jesus recognizes, look, and He's teaching His disciples, and I think that's the point here, that, that as disciples, because we profess that we here this morning are as, as Christians, we know Christ. We're His disciples. And I think our food, yeah, we've already tasted the living water. But now our food, our daily sustenance is to do the will of God. That's what we need to begin to, to carry out. So, uh, that's, that comes through instruction. It also comes by incorporation. I think this hits to finish His work. You know, um, verses 35 through 38 gives us this. Notice, do, not, do you not say, and this is Jesus in response to His disciples, do you not, not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Picture this, church. Samaritan woman, boom, left her water pot. She's out of there. She's gone into the city. You're going to come see this guy. He's told me, this is the Christ. I've met him. He's here. He's at the well of Jacob. You, you, you. So they're all coming out to see, to investigate. Meanwhile, they are talking to Jesus. Jesus is explaining this about the will to, to do and to finish Meanwhile, they look up and coming across the fields, all these Samaritans, and perhaps as they're coming uh, across that field in their white robes, it it begins to glisten across the, the top of this field and it almost appears, because by the way, it wasn't harvest time, but during harvest time, uh, uh, the, the white uh, would begin to, to blossom at the top of the harvest. And, and I'm sure they look and they see all these white robes across coming out and it looks like a harvest. And Jesus' point is to say, look, there are souls ready everywhere. You say four months? No, 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 no. I say now. And, and so here they come uh, towards uh, the disciples, and they look. He says, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Guess who those earlier laborers were? Those Old Testament saints, those Old Testament prophets, the Scriptures that were written in the Old Testament. The Samaritans knew of these Old Testament uh, teachings. They knew this was Jacob's well. They had that seed sown in their hearts. And now here's an opportunity for them to reap. Can I, can I tell you this, church? Uh, there's a lot of people all around you that people have gone before you and sown seed into their heart. And it may be that God wants you to enter into this circumstance in their life, this situation right now, to reap what's already been sown. You're going to rejoice together. The Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints in in the presence of glory, and one day it's going to be a great celebration. And all those who've come to Christ for that living water will rejoice together. 
So, so here's what's happening. This is the picture. And, and so Jesus is using this as a moment to teach. It's a challenge to us. We need to sow the seed. We need to, we need to enter into that harvest field because it's truly ready for harvest. We need to make disciples. We need to incorporate believers and train them, teach them, pour our lives into them, and make disciples. We also need to identify the Christ. Notice verses 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified. Many of them believed because of her opening her mouth. You don't think you've got an impact on someone? You do. And if you'll just simply testify to what you know to be true, if you have met the Christ, tell them. Let them investigate the claims, but you tell them. Notice, because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them and stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Now some people, you know, spiritualize this text and say, well, those two days are references to the church age. And, and don't go off all there. You can if you want to, but that's not my point this morning. My point this morning is this. Many more believed because of his own word. You see, here's what happens, church. When we begin to engage people with our faith and we begin to talk about our Christ whom we've met and we begin to invite them to investigate these claims and we begin to implement obedience to Christ by doing His will, going and making disciples, seeking the lost to try and win them to Christ, then then they they come and, and they hear the teachings of Christ through, through your witness, through your testimony, perhaps through the preaching because they do come to church here with you as you invite them. And notice what happens. They said, verse 42, they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard Him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ the Savior of the world. They heard Him. They knew Him. And I believe that's the result. The result? They believed in Him. Let's be faithful to sow seed and water seed. And let's leave the result to God. But you know what? It starts by by us identifying our need. And we need to invite others to Christ. We need to implement obedience to Christ. If we invite others to Christ, I think the result will be that we'll come to Him. If we implement obedience to Christ, I think the result will be that some will believe in Him. We need to share the living water. We need to feed on the food of God, seeking the loss.
making disciples. I close with this story about a man named George Smith. This is from How to Share Your Faith by Greg Laurie. If you're interested in in, in a book that will help encourage you to share your faith, uh, it's a good one. But listen to this story about missionary George Smith. Missionary George Smith may have thought his ministry was a failure. He had been in Africa only a short time when he was driven from the country. Leaving behind only one convert. Can you imagine? One convert. A poor woman. He died not long after that. He died while on his knees praying for Africa. Years later, a group of men stumbled onto the place where George Smith had prayed. They also found a copy of the scriptures he had left behind in Africa. Then they met the one convert of Smith's ministry. She shared the gospel with them, and they believed. The result of these men's encounter with the Bible and Smith's one convert was far-reaching. One hundred years later, a mission agency discovered that more than 13,000 converts had emerged from the ministry that George Smith had originally begun. In actuality, the analogy of a seed taking root fits George Smith's story better than catching a fish. You obviously know when you've caught a fish, but there may be a seed of the gospel being shared that you've forgotten all about then one day that seed, much to the surprise of many, breaks ground. So like missionary George Smith, we need to keep faithfully sowing the seed of the gospel because it's not over till God has finished working. Let's pray.